Well sent. NC State did tonight. Well, send Pitt to the free throw line, that is. But we'll get into that and more on this edition of the Lotcast. I'm Asad Malik, doing my best Trey Lauer impersonation. Trey couldn't be here tonight, but I've got Alec and Joel with me. How are you all doing tonight? Yeah, how are you, Asad? I am. I could be better based on that game. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I think well, we all good. Let's jump right into it. We're hot off the presses here, coming right out of NC State, uh, losing at home versus Pitt. Uh, the Fighting Jeff Capels came in uh, to PNC Arena and um, ran all over the Wolfpack. The Pat clawed back and uh, came within one to two possessions of winning that game, and uh, they were down big double digits and then came back but uh what do you guys think about that joel let's start with you well there was a lot of things that that went wrong that that if that would have changed it would have made a huge impact on the game we shot 40 percent from the free throw line but we didn't shoot that many free throws they made 18 of 20 they out rebounded us by nine Jaden taylor scored zero points he only took three shots uh casey morsell only had five points mcconnell had two so basically Offensively, it was DJ Burns and DJ Horn and a little bit of Ben Middlebrooks thrown in there. Uh, Middlebrooks played pretty good in the first half, but he missed four free throws, I think. Uh, and so, you know, there was just a lot of missed opportunities. We actually shot 46%. You know, we we shot 46%. They shot 43 but the, the, the difference was the free throws, really. That was the difference. And... Uh, you know, we that this game, if we would have won this game, we had some games coming up that were winnable. I know Wake and Clemson are coming up. They're going to be tough. They're winnable games. And then there's Syracuse, BC, and Florida State. That that rounds out the month of February. Uh, if we could have won this game, got some momentum, we could have actually done some, done some damage. But I think now with this loss, I think that's really going to take the wind out of our sails as far as, the, you know, making the tournament. I think with state at a high excuse me at a high level there's just there's not enough there as in like they don't have enough margin for error um you know for things like what happened against Pitt to happen like when you're when you're play a full season of college basketball you're going to have games where you shoot the ball poorly you're going to have games where you shoot free throws poorly right you're going to have you know blown layups occasionally like you're going to make mistakes um, they have no margin for error for those things, though, and you saw it tonight. Like, like they they were um, five for six for fifteen from the free throw line. We saw uh, Diara miss an open layup um, with about two minutes to go. That uh, would have been the mathematical difference in the game uh, before we started fouling Pitt. Um, just too many mistakes, and this is a team that's going to play way too many close games. To, to you know, you're asking them to basically be perfect to to avoid this sort of thing. And I think we saw a really good game from from Burns. Um, there's been a lot of debate lately about whether or not State is better without Burns. Um, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this, but I think that this game here was a pretty good example of the point that's being missed with that discussion. Is that it's almost entirely about matchups. It is it short on the front line but they're small uh there's not a lot of like like strength up front for Pitt. you know this is a team that burns could bully in the down on the block and he did i think he scored 19 points um i think when you get teams that that have to double right because they simply can't match up one-on-one that's what you want to be doing is playing through burns and when you get a team that that maybe isn't the case and they can match up one-on-one and you are going to get you know a 10 point output from burns probably in, in those situations um, you know, maybe you are better off with a middle Brooks or someone that can really rim run off a pick and roll and really put some pressure on, on roller tags and, and things like that instead of, you know, a, a player like Burns, who's really only going to short roll and who's not going to be super effective diving to the basket, you know, slipping screens, slipping hedges, things like that. Uh, so I, I think it's completely dependent on matchup. I think State did a really good job with Burns tonight, you know, feeding him in the short corner and playing through that. He had a couple really nice assists. Um, but, you know, at a high level, there's made too many mistakes. So what did you guys think about the officiating tonight? Because, you know, this has been a topic of conversation throughout the season that it seems like continually NC State struggles to get to the free throw line. 
but it really seemed like the game was physical on both ends of the floor, but Pitt was benefiting from, uh, you know, a whistle that you don't often see on the road. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if there's anything strategically that NC State isn't doing besides trying to draw contact on the hedging screens, which DJ Horn tried to do late in the game and he ought to have been doing the rest of the time. But a lot of the uh, contact down low that Middlebrooks and Diara and Burns were seemingly getting without whistles, uh, you know, I, I don't know if maybe I'm just biased about it, but what what happened there that Pittsburgh was doing better to get the whistle? I don't know. I think it's got to do with – I think that NC State has a reputation for fouling a lot. And I think it's because of the way they play defense. Uh, they 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 use their hands a lot as far as like trying to slap the ball away and things like that. So we get called for more fouls. Uh, inside, I think physically, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fouls that don't get called. But I think there's a lot of fouls that don't get called both ways. I mean, uh, there was some there was some fouls that, that should have been called uh, on Pittsburgh, but you know, it, it wasn't a great crew. I will say that it wasn't my favorite crew. That's just so, you know, so they're not, it's not going to be, you're, you're going to get games where, you know, you just, some games you get and you're just like, what are these, what are these officials doing? And they, it's just, they have a style, they have a, a way they're doing things. And they, you know, some guys will let a whole lot more contact go than others. And it seems like nowadays that's actually becoming a whole lot more common to have a lot of physicality underneath. Uh, I've, I've seen that a lot more. I personally couldn't care less about the refs. Like at this point in the season, um, you know, I don't, I don't think state's in a position where, uh, you know, something like that's going to impact the outcome of the season. It's, uh, you know, that Burns is not going to shoot free throws. That's kind of, you know, a thing. And um, you know, college basketball officiating as a whole is is kind of just like a nightmare. Men's, women's, NAIA play. Uh, college hoops 2k8 and the refs are still bad like it's uh <laughs> it's just kind of like the way it is and you know i think one thing people miss is contact doesn't necessarily equal foul like you know you see a lot of you know there's, there's certain certain types of contact right like arm contact is a shooting foul right but like shoulder contact from the from the you know player with the ball is not you know it, it, it depends on the type of contact and that's not something you can always see real well with a with a camera angle the one thing i I had a big problem with this is ironically true actually is that on the Pitt's last made field goal of the game off that rebound where they got that easy put in Middlebrooks fouled the crap out of that guy like it was probably the most obvious foul I've ever seen and it was like the one time I wanted them to call a foul on a drive because it was going to be an easy bucket after the rebound and they didn't and he like hit him in the face like I don't understand how that wasn't like a foul I would have appreciated that they called a foul on state for once. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, I mean, you talk about free throws, like we shot 15 free throws and pitched out 20 and they made 90% of them and we made 40%. Of them. So like, it's not as if they were getting to the line at like a much more frequent rate or anything like that. Um, and, you know, you know, Burns is not going to get free throws. He's not going to get a whistle. So just kind mm. of is what it is. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the free throw disparity evened out as the second half went on. I think it was more stark earlier on in the game. And yeah, I, I think Burns's height uh, difference between him and and other fours and fives in the league causes him to avoid straight up contact. He's a lot of times trying to do up and unders and other moves to try and get clear shots spin moves and that sort of thing, you know, and he got blocked a couple of times tonight. So, you know, it shows that he's not really one of those guys that's, you know, trying to go straight up to try and get a, get to the free throw line. So that's, that's kind of been the case, but it, it's good to see at least that whatever funk he was going through in the last few weeks, he seems to have worked out of it. Um, you know, he, he shot the ball much better tonight. <clears throat> he did have, one or two frustration fouls like he always does, but you know, 19 points is probably the the biggest output he's had in in quite a while. Yeah, I think, like I said, that that's a lot of like matchup based stuff. Like we talked about Virginia and and his performance against Virginia with Jordan Minor guarding him on a podcast earlier. 
it was earlier this month. Like it, it's it's a it's a very it's a plus for state a plus matchup down low in this game. So I thought they did the right thing feeding him. Um, you know the short corner post up I think is my favorite thing that state does. Uh, and just the long back down with uh, emptying out the side and then you know running the shooters back to him and he did a, a good job exploiting the doubles when they came. I thought he had a, he had a really good game. He he missed he missed the shot to take the lead at the end. I think it was, but like people miss shots. You know he's already got 19 points on the game. He shot pretty well. You know if you make free throws, there's so many inputs into this, and it goes back to the original point of they just made so many mistakes. Um, I know Diara we talked about that, right? Missed a wide open layup with like a minute to go. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part. Uh, like you said, Pitt was not double-teaming him like a lot of other teams have been doing recently, so he took advantage of that. And we saw a lot of the old flashes that, with him passing out of the post, uh, leading to open shots or a, a pass leading to a pass, leading to a you know a good-looking three. So it's the kind of stuff that we've been waiting to see from Burns for quite a while now, and it's nice to see that, you know, those types of things were happening and it there were those types of factors that state was seeing on the offensive side that would have led me to believe they could have taken more advantage because they weren't seeing a lot of double teams against burns and they were seeing a lot of hedging on the ball screens which state has been able to work advantageously before and Neither, you know, that even with both of those things working, they, they still weren't able to do it. So what was it about the hedging tonight that worked better for Pitt versus when other teams have done it? So I watched this game at the Bass Lake Draft House um, <laughs> during Music Bingo. So I'd probably have to go back and, and rewatch it uh, to, to kind of break down each, you know, the how, how they were attacking State. Um, state's ball screen. Um, a lot of times it has something to do with you know, particularly more with drop coverage, right? How much are you gonna, how much are you gonna help to tag rollers? You kind of have to do that when you hedge. You know, it's O'Connell had four assists. You know, his assist numbers are so much better against hedging defenses, and he was up in that range of where he's been. Um, mm-hmm. it did feel like you know, state shot six of eighteen from three, which is like not great. Uh, it's not like horrendous, but. It did feel like a, a good number of the perimeter jump shots that they hit were just products of DJ Horn's just just shot making. Um, you know, they weren't like products of ball movement necessarily. Other than I think there were two that came out of a Burns double team. I think the other four or three or four of the other ones were just purely just Horn on the ball. Maybe like late shot clock. I don't remember exactly, but I know that a lot of them were just him making plays. So I'd, I'd like to go back and watch and see like. You know, how they tried to exploit that because because you did mention it, like they've had success against it. I think we said uh, the state was shooting over thirty eight percent from three in the ACC against hedging defenses, and and they didn't really get super close to that this time. Um, so I, I don't I don't know, but definitely like the numbers didn't check out quite as much as they they have in the past uh, with that kind of defensive approach. There wasn't there wasn't as much ball movement, but at the same time. You know, besides DJ Horn, nobody really shot the ball that well. I mean, Morsell was two for seven. Uh, he was one for three from three point. Jaden Taylor scored nothing. Uh, O'Connell only scored two points. So the the scoring load was on DJ Burns and on the uh, DJ Horn. And so without anybody else stepping up, that's going to be hard to. No matter whether they're hedging or not, that's going to be difficult for them to you know, to win if nobody else is scoring. I mean, I think this is going to sound weird, but I think because because DJ Burns was in a slump and now he's out of it a little bit, I think that may state a better basketball team. And here's why. Now, they learn, they learn how to score without DJ Burns scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that Burns is back, so now they've got a, they've got a double. They've got a more of a double threat because Burns is playing well again. So I think they're a better offensive team because of that. I just think it's, I just think it's too late at this point, you know, as far as their what they're doing, their record and everything. Yeah, and we've seen that several times in the past uh, during the Keats era when a primary scorer has gotten injured and the rest of the team is forced to uh, learn how to score without them. 
you know, and that was, that's definitely been the case this season. Um, you know, it's one of the things that we would hope that they wouldn't unlearn those types of things and just use an additional, um, scoring output from Burns to the, to, you know, just to increase what, what they'd already been doing in the past. But, you know, um, you know, it was nice to see bring on pass at least get some, get some, uh, run out there he but he he was basically a, a non-starter on the stat sheet he played three minutes he he almost had a three trillion if he had not had one assist he would have been straight zeros across the stat sheet which which would have been you know did interesting to see woods play at all no woods did not play no nope. the only bench we neither, saw neither was did, neither did lj thomas no just dr middlebrooks uh Parker, Parker and pass. pass. That's it. Yeah, see, the, the the only thing that uh, people have you know been clamoring for a lot of different lineup variations. Um, the one the one thing that I did want to see this year that we haven't seen is is more Woods. Um, you know how to what degree? I don't think really anybody that's not in the program has any you know ability to answer. But when in the short stints that he's been out there, right, I've seen him make a three. I've seen him. Hit a floater over a dropped big. Uh, I've seen him make uh, a nice pass uh, to a nice corner pass off a of dribble penetration. Right, the things that you you want to see your point guards be able to do in a ball screen offense. Um, I would like. I, I've been wanting to see more of him for a long time. I think a lot of people talk about L.J. Thomas. I think Thomas is is interesting too. But Woods to me has has more pop off the dribble. You know, I, I I would like to see what that looks like with Horn at the two and and you know cycling Morcel and um, Taylor and you know at, at the other spots and I I don't know I feel like short shot. Yeah, you know, in the last few games, it really seems like the four guard plus Burns lineup seemed to get uh, a lot of tread. So keeps latched onto and it has continued to run it out there and it and it has done well for him but he has so many pieces on the bench that he could mix and match all the different looks you know i i'm still waiting for ernest ross i don't think ernest ross is going to see the floor again this season no. which is was really unfortunate because he he was always kind of you know just a just a, just a microwave in terms of the energy he brings out there, just an instant energy to the floor. He's a, he's a different look, and, and he brings a, a different style of length. And, you know, you are basically guaranteeing that, that he's going to be gone after the end of the season if he's not going to get any run. So um, there there's probably a number of players that are like that that aren't getting uh, as much playing time as maybe they thought they were going to uh, going into the season. That I'm just not... You know, <laughs> I'm just not sure what Ross is going to give you that Diara isn't. Um, I think the thing with Ross is he's not a true five and he can't shoot. And I realize Diara can't really shoot either, but I think Diara is kind of like an elevated version of Ross. I think he's bigger. I think mm. he's a better on-ball defender. Um, you know, I think State is still holding out some hope that he can hit a few jump shots. He had one that went like five feet deep into the basket and right. then came out tonight, which was just yeah. insane that the ball managed to do that. Uh, I don't think that's, it's, I mean, it's just, I think it's a wash at this point on that, but yeah, I mean, I think you, the reason why you don't see Ross is, is that he's basically a, a, a four man size wise that can't shoot. He's kind of stuck in this like floater space as far as like what role he would play on this team. Um, I just think you can do everything with him and then more that you can do, you can do with, or you can do, what? You can do everything with Diara that you can do with him and then some. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I think I think Ross is a better Ross is a very good shot blocker. Uh, he he blocked a lot of shots last year. Even not even though he didn't play that much. He plays with a lot of energy. Uh, and he had that one game where he had, you know, just tons of those backdoor cuts and, and layups. So he's very quick, he's very deceptive that way. Uh I think he has, you're right, he's not a very good shooter. Uh, he's a good shot blocker. He's quick. He doesn't know how to play defense the way he should, though. It, even though he's quick, he's, he gets beat a lot. He also got he also got called for a lot of uh, moving screens last year. I think he must have led the nation in 
moving screens <laughs> last year. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's some, there's obviously some, you know, some deficiencies that he could work on, but, you know, I mean, he does, he does have a lot of energy. You know, he's, he's been there for what, three years now, you know, so he stayed with it. He had that injury the first year. So, but I, I agree, Asad, he's, you know, he's probably not going to be here next year. This, you know, I don't, why would he stay? Yeah. So you're saying, you know, he's not a very good shooter. So here's the question. And then we'll, we'll close the topic of this game since we want to get it. You were saying he's not a good shooter, but outside of DJ Horn and maybe Casey Morsell, is there another good shooter on this team? The answer is no. Uh, well, I think I mean the, it depends on what, you, what you're talking about. Burns is a good shooter if he's in if he's in his element. Good. So the difference the difference between so the difference between a good shooter and like a capable shooter is important here. Like no, there's no one else on the team that's going to shoot better than like that's going to suddenly have a year where they shoot 38 percent from three. But I think Joel, you just mentioned that Miami game from last year where I think um, Ross had something like 17 and nine in that game, and he was mm-hmm. you know e- eating with all the back cuts on, um, you know, taking advantage of Miami's constant doubling of DJ Burns is States tried to run all that stuff again this year, but they've done it with Dennis Parker. And I think that that makes a lot more sense because while Dennis Parker is not a great shooter, he can do more offensively than Ross can. He can handle the ball a little bit, right? He can do, uh, he can shoot a little bit. Um, He's made some, some threes off of Burns kicks this year. Uh, I, I think they're hoping that that develops and continues to uh, to show, but uh, you know, I think that's just basically why Ross isn't isn't playing because I think everything that you've done with him in the past, you could either do with Yara or you could do with Dennis Parker, and I think those guys give you more. And Parker's basically assumed that role. Yep. All right. That's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. Fair. You know, I I think. It it goes back to something that we've talked about before of the philosophy of, of recruiting athletes and trying to turn them into shooters rather than recruiting shooters and trying to get them to play it into your up, uh, getting them into the shape uh, well enough to play your up tempo style. So you know it's just the style of player that keeps you know attempts to go after that, that leads to say- this. The thing with Ross is like his his stroke looks decent, and I think you can say the same thing with Diara. Like he doesn't look like um, I was gonna try to think of a funny example, but I couldn't come up with anything quick enough. Um, you know, I, I think I think when you talk about like a guy like <laughs> yeah, that'd be one. You remember that <laughs> a guy like like a Muhammad Diara or like an Ernest Ross that had a full offensive skill set. Right, that's a guy that's that's probably going straight to the NBA, and if it's not, that's a guy that's going to Duke or Kentucky or Kansas, right, or the G League or whatever. Um, I think what what State was was really trying to do, you know, is with with a guy like Ross is is, you know, ideally build him into that kind of guy who has the ability to stretch. Um, the shots have never gone in. It's definitely something they wanted to see with Diara, because if it wasn't, they wouldn't uh, be out there green lighting him on three still uh it's it's i mean it's basically like getting a hold of the the athletes and then yeah you know, trying to develop that game into them and it's you know I, I don't think keats is a terrible development coach i know i feel like he has that ability i think we've seen it i think dj funderburk got a lot better under him i think there's some other players that improved a lot under him but development means less than it ever has in college basketball with the rotating rosters um and yeah, I mean, looking at it now, I think there's an argument to the contrary about what I just said about Kevin Keats because you know Ross is not playing right now. He's clearly not, you know, hasn't developed any kind of shot. Um, Dr. I think falls in the same boat. You know, I think those are the guys where if you could build an offensive skill set with them, you know, over two years, right? They show up as a junior, and you know those guys become valuable pieces because you can pick and pop, right? You can really attack the rim off of ball screens with that. You know, with with rim runs and things like that, and uh, it, it it you know with a, with a really good athlete like that, and then the lob comes into play, which is something State doesn't really have right now. Uh, I don't I don't think DJ Burns can dunk, and I don't think um, Ben Ben Middlebrooks is moves very well, but he's not like an elite leaper. Um, 
you know, that's something that State did a lot of very well with uh, Markel Johnson and, and Funderburk, and they had a lot of that uh, because Funderburk was such a great athlete. And, it, you know, basically what that does is it, it, it makes it harder to recover, right, as a drop big, right, because, you know, you're not going to catch a pass in the post and then go up with it, right? You're just dunking right out of the air. Um, so it was really it was really trying to get that type of athlete into that role. But, I mean, you can speculate as to why, but it, has, it hasn't happened. It had. It had. Yeah, all right. So, you know, we'll put this game to bed. You know, the Wolfpack have a few more Q1 opportunities on the schedule. Uh, before we move on to talking about the Lady Wolfpack, we'll just quickly talk about the fact that uh, NC State has a game at Wake Forest and then at, at Clemson. They had a bit of a home stretch here, so two road games against two tough opponents, um, one of which they have already beaten once this season closely and one that beat them three times last season. Uh, so, you know, it, it'll definitely be, um, a, a tough stretch here, especially since the, their second matchup against Syracuse comes right afterwards. So you really would have liked to have seen, uh, them come away with a, a win tonight because it's going to be tough sledding from here on out. Yeah, those next two are hard. Yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a lot of fun, but it's, it's just, there's just a lot of tough games coming up. And then that, at the end of the year, that's going to be, yeah, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's going right. to be tough, you know. All and right, so let's, have... go ahead. I was going to say, I think I think there's no way around having to beat probably both Duke and UNC. Um, I have no idea what Clemson's net rating is. I have no idea if that's a Q1 game or not. But, yeah, I mean, you, you have to get some of those at some point, And I think there's, what, four left? Maybe, um, I believe and, you know, five. Two them four or five, yeah, and then yeah, you know, I think you have to get at least two of them, and then you can't lose any more bad games. So you're asking like, a lot of a lot down the stretch here. Yeah, there's a chance that Florida State could sneak into the top seventy-five, and and then that would make that a Q1 game. But you don't want to really rely on that. Yeah, that could yeah. fluctuate at any, at any point. <laughs> True. I mean, if we beat them in the fall, so like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, trying to make sense of the net is a fool's errand because you know teams lose and they go up, teams win and they go down, and uh, it's it, it's really hard to understand. the The one thing you can really rely on is just win. You, you just got to stack wins this, in the same way you always have in order to bolster your probability. Uh, I, I think at this point, we're going to be looking forward to some uh, very entertaining NIT games at Reynolds Coliseum. Yes, Lipscomb and teams like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lipscomb was not entertaining. I hated that. That's, yeah, that was won, a terrible so. day. <laughs> it was entertaining for like, for like 39 minutes and 52 seconds of game time. <laughs> True. That that level of opponent though is what we can look forward to. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Right. Uh, okay, so let's transition to a happier topic. Uh, two nights ago, on Monday, the women Wolfpack were able to knock off number fifteen Louisville by ten, seventy-seven to sixty-seven, in what was really an important matchup for them given how much of a logjam there is towards the top of the ACC. And because of that win, NC State holds the tiebreaker between them and are now only a half game back of Virginia Tech with an, uh, an upcoming game against the Hokies. So um, it kept them in contention for getting not only a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, but the one seed in the ACC tournament. Uh, did you guys get a chance to see this game, and, and what were your thoughts? I watched it, and uh, and it's I went back and watched it. But yes, uh, I think they're in a really good place now to win the win the regular season and uh, and to, and to be a number one seed. The the key is they have to stay healthy. I think they really missed River Baldwin when she was out, and they that's the only two games they've lost when she didn't play. 
Uh, and they, they probably wouldn't have beat Miami, but they probably would have beat Virginia Tech if they would have had River Baldwin. Um, you know, I think there's – this is a very talented team. As Isaiah James, just she was just absolutely out of her mind the other night. I mean, I, I've never, I haven't seen very many players just completely dominate a quarter like she did that, that first quarter. Um, and then, you know, you've got people like Zoe Brooks, who's a freshman, but she doesn't play like a freshman at all. She's really, really good. Uh, you got Lacey Steele, another freshman that can come in and knock down threes. You know, and, and you got and you got uh, you know Madison Hayes and uh, Mimi Collins, and uh, this team this team is as good as South Carolina. But the thing is, I think they have to learn a little bit more. Uh, they make mistakes that they probably shouldn't make, and I think that's getting better because uh, you do have like Zoe Brooks has had to play a lot of point guard when when Rivers was out. She had she started. She had ten assists two games in a row, which is incredible. Uh, this team is really good. I mean. They play good defense. Uh, you know, if they if they get out in transition, that's when they play their best basketball. They really do. If they can get out and run and push the ball up the court, there's not many teams that's going to be able to stop them and beat them because you get you get Sanaya Rivers going downhill, you get uh, Isaiah James, uh, and then you got you got a four, you got a stretch four that can make three pointers. If you leave her open, she's going to make three pointers. Mimi Collins will knock those down. Madison Hayes will knock those down. They, they have really good shooters. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But the other the other team can. They've a lot of teams have tried to play zone against them, and that doesn't work. Uh, State moves. They move well enough off the ball, so that it doesn't matter whether they're playing man to man. I mean, they just have guys. They just have a lot of ladies that can score the basketball. I mean. And yeah, they had a, they had a bad they had one bad game against Miami, but without that, they would be if they would have had River Baldwin for Virginia Tech, they would be twenty one and one right now. And uh, I really think that if they can just if they can just clean up a little a few things, uh, stop making some mistakes that they probably shouldn't make. I think they can really really have a really good chance to make a, a run in the NCAA. I think they can make the Final Four. They're they're really that good. I think it's definitely on the table. I mean, I think that's the ceiling for this team. I think is holding a trophy sometime in April. Um, I, you know, I think I think that the game on Tuesday um, was a great example of scoring depth. Um, Sanaya Rivers had had a very bad game. Uh, she did have five assists, but she was over five from the field and had five turnovers. Probably the worst game she's played at state. And it happened in a, in a double-digit win over a top-15 team, right, because of scoring depth, right? Isaiah um, James had, what, 28, I think? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have that. You have that across the board, you know, with both of your guards. You can initiate offense with, with both of these guards. Um, the ball does not have to run through one person to initiate offense, and that's that's a huge luxury. And, you know, James is, is a player that has, has always been good off the bounce. He's a very crafty finisher. Um, very crafty finisher. She put some highlights up there uh, the last two games. And uh, she can score in the mid-range, and her her jump shot from outside has been kind of inconsistent this year. But when it's been on, she's basically unguardable because there's not very many players in the country that can truly set up and play defense one-on-one against her. And you can't give her space because she will make that shot. If her shot is going in, that's kind of been the – the tracking point for James is, is that, is that three falling? I think, how many did she make against Louisville? Was it four or five? I think it was four, which is a lot four. for one, one player. Four for at seven. least four for seven. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. Four for seven. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's just a huge luxury to have a player. That's a, a true three level scorer like that. And, um, you know, Joel, I think you got it exactly right. That the, that the biggest thing for the team is just staying healthy. Baldwin is clearly not 100% right now. She's not moving like she usually does. Uh, I think she's still in some pain. I think I mentioned that on Twitter, and her mom liked it, so I'm pretty sure that was like confirmation <laughs> in some way, some way or another. Um, but yeah, and she, but there's no depth there. There's no front court depth there. It's yeah. you know behind Collins and um, Baldwin is is um, Mallory Collier, who is a freshman. Um, Maddie Cox, who I like a lot, but has not played very much. Um, you know, uh, Lizzie Williamson, but she has not played very much. Uh, there, there's really not a whole lot of 
front court depth there. So so staying healthy up front, staying out of foul trouble uh, is, is a big, big deal for sure. But, you know, there's not a great way to defend this team. And I think you made a good point about teams trying to zone state. That's just idiotic. Like, why would you try and zone a team that can shoot the ball? Like, they can put, they can put five shooters on the court if they wanted to, if you were willing to play Collins mm-hmm. at the five, right? With Steele and with Brooks. And then, the, you know, you, you can really space the floor and, and, and a zone is just going to get melted by that. So I saw Clemson do that. Um, I think I saw Boston College do it. I might be thinking of someone else. Uh, but that's kind of the point. Is like this team is built to attack like in a lot of different ways. It's built to win games and create mismatches in a lot of different places. We've seen James go off and dominate some teams and, and take people off the dribble and win games for State that way. And we've seen games where they just fed Baldwin and she was like 10 for 12 from from the field and all of her shots were within two feet of the bucket. They can win games in a lot of different ways and um, they're capable of you know these these offensive outbursts like we saw against Louisville. I think they, this, that was an incredibly fun first half. I think it was for what forty seven points. They scored twenty eight in the first quarter. Like that's pretty impressive. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, Asai James was just on another level in the first half. You know, she tailed off in the second half. Only had eight after halftime, but she just couldn't miss, and she was herself. Uh, outscoring Louisville for most of the first quarter, and uh, it was it was really impressive to see. So it really seemed like to to the point about Sanaya Rivers. I don't know if maybe she was under the weather or if she was in a funk. Um, I I don't know if if she is the kind of player that needs the ball in her hand more, but Westmore is feeding Asaya James as the hot hand more often right now and that's taking some of the momentum away from Sanaya or if she just has to to work on continuing to find find her ways um to find her spots but I give her credit that you know she stayed in the game she played okay you know pretty well on defense I would say and then hit a bunch of clutch free throws at the end you know you would have rather not needed a bunch of clutch free throws considering State was up 21 at one point, but Louisville uh, kept chipping away at the lead and made it into a, a rather competitive game down the stretch. They, they they made it much tighter than we would have hoped, but it's a sign of a good team that they were able to pull away. But, you know, it, should we be concerned about Sinai Rivers at this point, or do we think that it's, you know, they'll figure it out? I have uh, zero concern for me. I think, um, you know, Louisville is a good team too, and they're trying to win the game also. So, uh, yeah, they they put together, you know, they they have an excellent coach. I love Jeff Walls as a coach. I think he's very good. And they put together a, a run because that's what they they were always going to, you know, be able to do that in some in some way. You're not going to beat Louisville like ninety eight to forty. So it was expected that they were going to punch back. And um, you know, I thought State could have weathered it maybe a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, the, it, it worked out in the end. But as far as Rivers goes, um, sometimes you just have a bad game. I don't think it's anything more than that. I mean, I don't think there's anything. Uh, I mean, she played well. I thought she played really well against UNC. She made a number of That's really true. important mid-range jump shots off of the ball screens. Uh, she's um, very, very good at attacking the basket. You do wish you had a little bit more of a perimeter jump shot from her. Uh, something to really pull defenders closer to her and 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 make it harder to do things like go under ball screens and just cut off her dribble. But she does have a pretty good shot out to about 15, 16 feet. Uh, so that's that's a big plus against things like drop coverage also. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and the thing that I love about Rivers is she's really developing as a point guard. Like, she had a, a really bad game against Lou, but she still had five assists. And she's passing the ball. She's making pick and roll reads at a much higher level than you would expect from someone who wasn't originally a point guard. Um, so that's you know that's a really good developmental sign, and I think that will continue. And, you know, she's got another year here, and uh, that you know she could be putting up some pretty impressive assist numbers next year. Yeah, I think so. I'm not concerned about her at all. I mean, I think she's you know it's like Alex said, you have a bad game every once in a while, but She's very important to the team, and you know, when she was out, you know, Zoe, Zoe Brooks had to play a lot more minutes. She had to start at point guard, and 
Sanaya was not a true point guard. I mean, she's playing point, but she was not a true point guard. And she's done really well with that. Uh, I think she leads the team in steals. And, uh, you know, she can shoot. She has made some threes, but her strength is driving to the basket. And I don't think she does that as much as she used to, but she maybe doesn't need to because you've got the emergence of, like, Isaiah James and, and you've got, you know, Madison Hayes having some big games, putting up some big numbers. And then Mimi Collins, too. There's just a lot. There's just nobody on the floor that can't score with, these, with this team. I mean, and that's why they're so hard to defend, you know, and that's why they score a lot of points, and that's why they're so good. And um, I, I think Sanaya, I think she it's, she seems to have a way of stepping up when she needs to. Like when the, when there's when there's pressure and there's the games on the line, she has a she wants the ball. She wants to to take the ball and score. So uh, I'm not I'm not concerned about it. I think she's I think she's okay. I mean I think she got a little bit out of her rhythm when she was injured at the first of the year because she was playing really well before the injury. Um, anytime you have that, I think it gets you out of your rhythm a little bit, and I think that's what's happened happened to River Baldwin a little bit too. Uh, I know that. Uh, her mother is a doctor, and she said that she her pain was at a three now, which is you know that's that's not bad. Uh, that's they were talking. That's what Ernie and them were talking about on the broadcast the other night. So, uh, and it's getting better every day. She did move better the other night than she than she had the previous game. So she's on her way back if she can just stay healthy, you know. But it it takes a little bit of time to get back into the rhythm that you were in. Uh, anytime that somebody's out and they're injured like that. Back in 1983, when Derek Wittenberg was injured, he came back in. He wasn't the same player that he was before he was injured. I mean, it, they needed him back, but he, he just wasn't the same. He just didn't score the ball as much, and he just wasn't the same for a while. So uh, I think that's part of the, the issue with Sanaya Rivers, and I think it's also the, the issue with River Baldwin a little bit. But, uh, you know, they've got time to get better, and if they beat Virginia Tech tomorrow night, I really think that they put themselves in the position to win the ACC championship uh, again, you know, and uh, I'd love to see that. I think it's, I wrote about this too. I think Wes Moore has a really good, he has a really good idea of what kind of players that he needs. And he goes out and gets those players. I mean, this is a, this is a roster that you have two guards that can take the ball to the basket and just, you know, and, and James can handle the basketball too. She brings it up the court a lot of times when they're pushing the break. And you got two guards like that, and you've got Madison Hayes, and you've got Mimi Collins, who's a four that can that can hit three pointers if you leave her alone. And I mean, he just goes out and builds a roster, and he gets the players that he needs to fit the system that he's got. And I think he's done. I think that's one of the reasons he's been so successful. Uh, you know, and now he's got to the point now where this has become a uh, we've become a destination school for for uh, for high school players. We really have. I mean, and he showed that with yeah, and he showed that with what he's got coming in next year too. So uh, he he does an excellent job of picking out the players that he needs to fill the positions, and he doesn't leave like we don't have a. There's not a weakness, you know. If we've got that that five on the floor, and then we've got the couple that could come. There's not a weakness on the team. There's not. Yeah, and, and that's one thing that I, I think a lot of people were concerned about when the primary crew with Alyssa Kunain all graduated, that people were wondering, is this the best that we're going to see from Wes Moore? And it, it turns out, I, I would dare to say that top to bottom, it, it's possible we'll have to wait and see what happens in March, but it, it's possible that this is a more stoutly constructed roster than than even the other peaks of the teams that won th uh, three back-to-back -back ACC championships. And, and that's that's saying a lot. But it, it really, like you're saying, feels like there aren't a ton of weaknesses as long as uh, the team stays healthy. Yeah, I think I this think team so. is... is it, it's been interesting to watch things transition post Kunain, right? Because that team was very inside-out based, right? They still played four out, one in most of the time. But it, it was very inside-out based because she was a good passer. She could stretch the floor a little bit, but she was an elite post-scorer, obviously. I think everybody knows that. Um, this team is much more guard-driven. Uh, we've seen them play through the post with Baldwin in, in times when they have serious matchup advantages in there, but 
this team is much more much more guard driven. I think they can do a lot more with the ball screen. Um, it, it's 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 kind of shows Moore's ability to um, change his change not change his philosophy so much as just like adapt, you know, to the personnel that that he has. Like I mean, obviously, um, oh my god, uh, Reina Perez was a fantastic guard. But she was a very, very different kind of guard than someone like a Sanaya Rivers or like an Isaiah James, right? She was, she was a great initiator. She was a very good shooter. Um, she was small, right? Isaiah James is not is not small. Sanaya Rivers is most certainly not small. These guys are these these players have more um, ability to score in traffic around the basket, and that gives you a little bit different like pinch points for defenses, right? Places where you can attack. And I think you've seen state kind of transition to more of a guard based uh guard based offense um and then you know with rivers like we're talking about her assist numbers like you're definitely seeing her transition i think into more of a uh initiator and distributor um and less of a a, a scorer first um i think that you'll see that more and more she's made some really nice passes uh, out out of like ball screen look, she's done some really good stuff with that. Some really good pick and roll reads that I don't think you would have gotten out of her as much a year ago. I think she was a score 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 player more, and and her game is really rounding out, and that is a testament to development. And so yeah, I mean I think it kind of shows that Moore does more or less everything well. I mean I, it's 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 really impressive to watch these players get better under him. And one of the things I think is slept on is. Um, how top heavy the ACC is, and it's not just Louisville and Virginia Tech. There's also Syracuse and Notre Dame. Um, Carolina was ranked at the time when they played the Wolfpack, but because of that loss and their previous loss, they lost to Virginia Tech the game before. They've now dropped out of the top 25. So uh, going up against Virginia Tech is going to be a key matchup but there are still two ranked opponents remaining on the schedule with going at Notre Dame. Um, still have to play Syracuse coming to Reynolds. And then you still have to play at Carolina and at Duke um, with at number 12, Notre, did I say Notre Dame already? No, at, at Notre Dame. Um, so anyway, the remaining schedule is definitely not going to be a cakewalk. I would venture to guess that NC State will be favored in all of these games. But looking beyond the Virginia Tech game, you know that you're going to get each team's best shot. And it's uh, one of those things that um, a lot of teams that they beat already are going to be looking for their revenge game. So, you know, it's going to take a a lot from them to maintain focus. And uh, it doesn't take much because the margins are so thin in in women's college basketball uh, with you know, it's it's almost similar to football, college football. How one loss can drop you down, uh, you know, a, a whole NCAA ranking. So, um, in, in the tournament, so they're going to need to maintain focus down the stretch for sure. One of the yeah. things that I wanted to mention too is that uh, one of the things that I like about this team is that they are very confident. They they actually believe they're going to win every game. They they just they don't seem to get rattled very much. I mean, they just they go out there and they do what they have to do. I mean, the game gets down toward the end and they just they just do it, you know. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, with Coach Moore and the and the what he instills in them as far as his philosophy and everything. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's going to be it's a lot of pressure and there's going to be a lot of tough games and you got to you got to play good every night. You got to bring your your A game every night. But you know, oh, and I wanted to ask too. We're playing. Are we? When we play UNC, are we playing in a small gym there? I don't. I just need to ask the question. <laughs> it's they, you know, allegedly it's sixty five hundred people that are going to be showing up. So I don't know. Right. That maybe yes, that's so many like actual physical chairs are are in there. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> I think the the thing with the to remember though about the ACC regular season is like. More and more every year, and it's happened a lot in men's, and it's happening. We're getting more closer and closer to that point in women's. Is it doesn't matter that much. It's nice to have like a like a ACC regular season title and a one seed, and it means something. Um, but 
the games the games are you know like you said the margins are very slim like a lot anything anything can happen when the tournament comes around so you know you just want to be in a good position that happens i mean states won the acc tournament as the top seed they've won it as not the top seed um just it, it, they're probably going to drop a game or two along along the way because there's some really good teams, like you mentioned. I think they go to Notre Dame, they go to UNC. Obviously, they have Virginia Tech still. Um, it's about it's about you know being in position come the ACC tournament and, and the NCAA tournament, and I think that's it's always something to keep in mind. I think you know when you watch a team like State that wins nearly every game, it's you get conditioned to that a little bit, and when you lose one, it's like it's like really awful, but. There's a lot of good basketball teams out there, and and you're gonna lose some regular season games, and and uh, just gotta win the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and title. you know, to to close off uh, this topic with uh, the women's team, like you were saying, Joel, I I can't recall another NC State team of either gender in pretty much any sport that knows how to close games as well as these ladies seem to do, where they just have an implicit co- uh, confidence that they're going to be able to win. And they got down a little bit early to Louisville and they just, it was just like, okay, whatever, we're going to, we're going to turn the switch on in any minute now and go on a run, which they did. And it seems like you see that time. And again, the game with the UNC was, down in the gutter and they just kind of shrugged through it and and pulled the game out where you know UNC was trying to do everything they could to win that game so I can't think of another team that just feels so confident going in it's weird for me as an NC State fan to have this level of confidence in in any group that they're just gonna find what find whatever they need to do and and win the game you know obviously they, they might drop one or or more, like you said, Alec, but just to have that level of confidence going into any matchup against anyone in the country feeling like they can win, um, it's it's an odd place to be as an NC State fan. So <laughs> it's nice. It feels good here. I, I'd like to stay. It does, yeah. <laughs> it does. All right. So um, I think we're going to start wrapping it up here. Uh, we don't have a ton to talk about with National Signing Day, I think the college football class was more or less locked up with the previous signing day and a lot of the transfers that Dave Dorn has been bringing in. So we'll leave football for another day, and we're going to move on to our question of the day. And that is, what is your favorite breakfast cereal? Who would like to go first? I'll go first. I have a clear, clear favorite. There's two in contention. But I have a clear favorite, and my favorite of all time is Fruity Pebbles. I love Fruity Pebbles. I used to eat. I used to go through four boxes of Fruity Pebbles a week. I mean, I would eat half a box at a time in like a serving bowl. I mean, Captain Crunch is good too, but man, Fruity Pebbles! Give me Fruity Pebbles anytime, anytime. I think. I think I have to go with. Lucky Charms, probably. Mm-hmm. But Lucky Charms are like kind of hit or miss because like the marshmallows are excellent, but the little other stuff is like kind of mid. So <laughs> it's like I don't know. It depends on like how many marshmallows you get. I haven't had like I haven't actually eaten cereal for breakfast in probably like many years. But that was like what probably my favorite that one. And then I always liked Apple Jacks. I don't even know if that's still a thing or not. It's still a thing, and I used to mm-hmm. eat those too. They're good. Around yeah, my kids, okay, my good, kids like them. Yeah, yeah, I loved Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks were mm-hmm. great. Um, uh, uh, the, what was the, there was one, there was like, it was just pure sugar. It was like, not Cocoa Pebbles, but smaller, like Cocoa Krispies, I think. They, they like do have Cocoa Krispies. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like Maybe. a bowl of sugar. I loved those as like a 10 year old. Those were so good. <laughs> it was like, so bad for you, but it was really good. Um, probably, probably the one that I, that I don't like is peanut butter crunch though. It's no, kind I don't of like that either. That's an air ball right there. I, I, that's not a good cereal, but um, yeah. But isn't that what Trey said his favorite was? Yeah, that's Trey's favorite. That's, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. I I don't know if Alec well, is purposely needling Trey there. I think I think that's what's going on. I think. Yeah. 
Uh, that but, uh, so you know, uh, I'm you know a, a self-confessed sugar addict. So I I could make a laundry list of all the sugary cereals that I loved growing up. I went through different phases with Frosted Flakes and Honey Nut Cheerios, and for a long time it was probably Honey Nut Cheerios. But if I had to pick one, it would be Fruit Loops. Um, I just oh, uh, have always really loved Fruit Loops, and I. Uh, became an odd stickler whenever somebody would misspell Fruit Loops because you, it, it's two O's in both of the words and would get annoyed. I was like weirdo getting weird, mad at people. But um, on top of that, if I had to pick just one, it would be Fruit Loops. But the cereal hack is actually to mix Rice Krispies in with either Fruit Loops or you mix Rice Krispies in with Honey Nut Cheerios. And if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it because the combination of the two flavors go really well together. Hmm. Do you guys put milk in your cereal? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I can have some cereals you can have dry, like Fruit Loops and Honey Nut Cheerios, you can have dry. But most of the time, yeah, I'm a cereal first kind of guy because I'll do what Joel was talking about, like just pound like a lot of it and a lot of times I'll just keep pouring the cereal until the milk is gone and maybe I'll even put a little bit more milk and kind of keep the cycle going. Uh now that I'm a little bit older I try to I I measure I literally measure out the amount of cereal I'm going to use and just like put in a little measuring cup and like that's that's all I'm going to get and you know I have to be a little bit more judicious about how much I'm eating but yeah I used to just pound so much cereal back in the day. I don't it's do you no, I did too. Asad, do you toast your cereal? Oh nice. Yeah. I had a <laughs> I, so I had a whole conversation with people at work today because they're not big college football fans. So I had to enlighten them about what the all the discussions were happening about the Pop Tarts bowl and told them all about the Pop Tarts mascot and everything that happened there. And then I initiated debates with several people. Actually, this had just happened today, happened that I was asking people what their Pop-Tart preferences were. And almost nobody said that they eat their Pop-Tarts raw. I'm just saying this is a small sample size. And Very some small. people some people did say that they prefer to have them straight out of the package when you are on the road. But if you're going to have them at home, either chilled, some people were saying chilled, either uh refrigerated or frozen uh, like the hot put sunday one somebody said if you have it out of the freezer it is it is really good i don't know I, that's something to <laughs> test out but the yep, uh, majority of people did did say toasted we get we got into a lot of debates on how to eat a toasted pop tart though do you go from the outside in and then we were saying you break it in half and then you, you go in from the center you know, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can do it i think we could continue talking about Pop darts forever, but uh, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. I think so. You have to break them in half. That's the only way to eat them. <laughs> I just had uh, cookies and cream pop. This whole pop tart uh, saga has resulted in me every week bringing home a different flavor of pop darts for the last two months, and um, we've gone through several flavors. Uh, my kids have unanimously chosen brown sugar cinnamon as the absolute worst flavor they've ever had, even. They really didn't like the, the fruity ones, like strawberry, even though I like those ones. But they, they put brown sugar cinnamon even below that one. It was like eating oatmeal, they said, and uh, like like a bland Cinnabon. But um, Hot Pot Sunday did get rave reviews. Uh, they probably put it one step below the Frosted Cupcake. And uh, the, the jury is still out on cookies and cream for them. Yeah, brown sugar cinnamon is, is, is just garbage. I don't understand how that... Snuck up to like everybody's favorite. That's like yeah. top tart flavor. Um, <laughs> I like eating them on on the boat because I can like eat them with like unclean hands and then just like throw the corner out and a bird will eat it and I don't feel like I'm littering. <laughs> so I remember now why this this came up at work today because um, I brought in a bag of the pop tart bites and I had a couple of people in the in the office try them to to see what they. What everyone thought, because I, I I was not a fan, and it it tastes like a dry pop tart, basically, like like an un uncooked pop tart, and there's not a lot of filling on the inside of it, so um I'll I'll give those like a a, a two out of ten. 
I want to try like weird ways to cook pop tarts now. Like I want to like smoke a pop tart or like grill a pop tart, <laughs> grill or a something pop tart. like that. Okay. Like like yeah. smoke it over like cherry wood for like eight hours mm. and see what it, what comes. In. Like it's a yeah, really low simmer. Different... Yeah, you yeah, could try all yeah. kinds of things like that. You, you could just try like... poaching a pop tart. You know that I don't think that works. Well, you could flour what? and then you could fry it. Poach a pop tart, you know. You poach you, it. You drop it in water. Yeah, that that wouldn't work too well. No, I want to fry. You could fry a pop tart. That you could, could actually definitely work. Could. batter it and deep fry it, or or even if you want to be healthy, you could air fry it. Yeah, you could yeah, deep fry could a pop tart. Right. Yeah. How have they not had those at the state fair by now? Yeah, they have. Seriously. Well, they have, well, they have deep fried Oreo things and deep fried, you know, like snickers and things yeah, like that yeah i've had the oreos yeah. and i've had the three musketeers deep fried i haven't had the deep fried ice cream though that seems weird the three musketeers rocks but the deep fried ice cream seems a little weird <laughs> i don't know how it's supposed to work i don't know it feels like some weird science experiment mm. that's what the state fair is in general so. yeah yeah it's been too long since i've been there i need to i need to make a trip back all right, we we take our our usual uh, food related diversions here at the end of the show, but uh, we're gonna close it out here for this week of the Lotcast. Hoping to have Trey back with us next week, and uh, hoping for some more good news to talk about on the men's basketball side and continuing good news on the women's side. But uh, for myself, Joel, and Alec, we will see you all next week. Go pack. Interstellar is a good film. Thank <laughs> you.